0: Welcome to Kuyperian Commentary Podcast, where every week or so we have a conversation with an interesting person. Yuri and I have had these conversations many times over many years. Of course, I'm talking about Yuri Brito, pastor of Providence Church in Pensacola, Florida. Yuri, how are you?
1: Man, it, it has been a very, very long time.
0: You just finished your doctorate at Reformed Theological Seminary. So first question is, what are you doing with all of your time now that you are finished?
1: That's a question that I'm still pondering. I don't know what to do with my time. Yeah, and you, when you really consider the fact that the get at this for the last five years, it's very hard. Uh, and you know, you're going through this process and sort of reorient your your time and sort of the liturgy of life to what it looks like now. But uh, I've had a very supportive family and congregation, so that's that's helped quite a bit. But I'm sure they're eager to see me put that time into uh, other purposes. Yeah, I would
0: think so. Well, that's, I should have introduced what we're going to be talking about for the next 20 minutes or so. I just want to ask you some questions about um, about the process of getting a doctorate. Of course, it's a big deal for you to be finished personally, but it's also, I mean, you've produced books and commentaries while you've been doing this. I'd love to hear more about your research, but it strikes me it's also a big moment for uh, for your church, for your family. I know your, contra, your contribution in the the thesis, the dissertation will be valuable. So let's just back up. You did a seminary at RTS also. How did you land on RTS in the first place?
1: RTS to me was in some ways, it was not a, a natural fit when I, when I began pursuing this here. I had a more classical bent when it came to uh, theology and apologetics. And so I was actually pursuing to do some study with a an old acquaintance of mine that I supported as a missionary, O. Palmer Robertson. who was Knox Theological Seminary at the time, and so was at the time someone I really respect, and I still do, even though he's passed, R.C. Sproul. And uh, I don't know if I told you the story, Dustin, but right as I was beginning the applicational process, Dr. Robertson decided to do some missions work in Africa, and R.C. Sproul had a stroke. Wow. And so. I don't know how more mystical you can become, but I interpreted it as a sign that I should not go to Knox. The next most likely place was one of the most well-known reform seminaries in the world, RTS in Orlando. And when I arrived, my first interview was with uh, John Frame, and there was sort of an academic love affair at first sight. I, I um, gained great respect for him during that time, and RTS in those days had uh, what I called sort of the dream team of professors, because all the great professors that used to work in California or in Philly were sort of retiring in Florida. And so I caught RTS in the days of uh, Bruce Waltke, uh, Roger Nicole, and uh, Simon Kistemacher, John Frame, Richard Pratt, uh, Reggie Kidd, and so and a host of other real godly men that I had to sit under. And so I I look at those years, I know that seminary is going through sort of this interesting revolution these days, and you probably heard similar critiques of seminary education, but uh, when I look at my seminary training, I look at it with absolute fondness. Mm. I loved every minute of it. The expectation that you're going to feel prepared for ministry is also always a futile one because that's not seminary dust. It doesn't prepare you for every conceivable scenario. But it does give you the tools and to cogitate and to meditate and to contemplate and to put uh, ecclesiastical concerns into certain categories. Mm-hmm. The RTS did for me, and uh, I'll always be grateful for my training there at Miami Div.
0: You know, it uh, I similar to you, uh, Brian Chapel, who was the president of Covenant Seminary at the time. gave yeah. some lectures at the college I was at, and I went to meet with them my wife and I both decided we were gonna go there largely because of him. And the day I got my acceptance letter and we decided to move to St. Louis, they put out an announcement that Brian was gonna go be a pastor. And I forget even where (laughs) it kind of worked out because he spent more time in the classroom after he was not the president anymore. But I had a very similar feeling that you choose a a school for a person and then that person leaves. So you did your MDiv at RTS uh, how long between doing your MDiv and then starting this program?
1: There was a, an eight-year gap between my MDiv, the beginning of my um, pastoral work as a senior pastor in Pensacola. About eight years into it, I went back to take an ethics class with Dr. Michael Allen. And at that point, he and Dr. Swain, who are uh, who is the, the president of RTS Orlando, pulled me aside and said, look, we're revamping the entire doctoral program here at RTS, are you interested? And the presentation was very persuasive, but I also knew at that point that I was at the right stage in life to do something of that magnitude. And I had the session support to pursue it, but I also knew Dustin, that pursuing that kind of doctoral training would be something very advantageous, not just for me academically, but for my congregation, because uh, one of the things that I focus quite a bit on is on the necessity for local churches to encourage the furtherance of theological education for their ministers. And so everything sort of happened at a very uh, appropriate time. And I began that endeavor on January, uh, second week of January in 2016, when my beard was still fully black <laughs> a
0: long time ago. And no doubt the the process contributed to the graying of your beard. Uh, you wrote on, which we have talked about before on the podcast, you wrote on friendship. So we've, we've talked about if people would like to hear more, they can listen to our conversation about that we had however long ago, a couple of years ago. But just tell us a little bit about what you focused on over the past uh, said five
1: years. One of the concerns I had right in the beginning of this project was the, the, the concern originated of what I was seeing experientially in in my community of pastors. I was seeing a lot of men that graduated with me who had a full sense of their calling and were committed to pursuing pastoral work long-term. That's how we all begin, right? Nobody enters pastoral work with the intention of spending only a couple of years. And from what appeared to me as very successful ministries externally, were actually moments of uh, tremendous turmoil for many of my friends. Mm. And I knew it. I began receiving phone calls from friends who were leaving the ministry and pursuing um, and no longer finding their calling within the ecclesiastical boundaries of the church. And they were burnt out. They were depressed. They were having marital problems. They were having all sorts of relational problems in the congregation. And at some time, I began to see a pattern. I began to ask questions that I had not pondered before, and so as I began to pursue what was the source of all this angst in pastoral ministry, I realized, unbeknownst to me, there is an abundance of research work um, navigating these sort of deep waters of pastoral ministry and revealing what I was experiencing at a personal level. I was seeing that pastors were not They were maybe theologically equipped to handle theological questions and the theological dimensions of church life, but they were not equipped to handle the tremendous relational dimensions and angles and perspectives of church life. And that was causing the, the epidemic of pastoral burnout, as one author says. And I began to realize why, ask the question, why is this happening and what can be done about it? There's no foolproof method that can, um, can bring certainty to pastoral longevity. However, historically and biblically, what I began to see in my research was that there were certain principles that have been adopted historically and in the biblical rationales there also for encouraging or aiding the pastor for long-term ministry. And I got to a point where anytime I saw a pastor who had been doing this for more than 5 years i just begin to congratulate them as you do with the military here in the south thank you for your service that's a rare thing and i as i begin to research I, there there are three themes that kind of be merged very very profoundly there's some other themes that i could have focused on but these three themes and principles or rituals gain a preeminence in all my research and they were the themes of friendship which speak specifically to the pastoral function of developing allies and confidants within pastoral ministry, the principle of learning, which is the furtherance of theological education as the pastor theologian, but also learning about the self, learning about how we function as individuals, what our personality uh, in some ways demands in order for us to be refreshed and rejuvenated for ministry. And then the aspect of leisure, which is by far the least discussed matter in in pastoral sessions and consistories in the Reformed world, very little conversation has to do with the function of leisure in pastoral life. And within that category are issues related to sabbaticals, vacations, all the things that pastors are afraid to talk about because they, they think that they sound too uh, selfish and uh, too personal to discuss, but that the absence of it actually kills the pastor year after year, and I believe that that is a fundamental conversation that needs to take place uh, within a um, a pastoral leadership group that was not being discussed. And so, as I looked at these three themes, I said these are not foolproof. There are godly men who live these three themes out, but are overcome by angst and depression. However, they are um, the kinds of themes and principles that I've seen to when practiced can lead to a uh, not just a, a ministry where you survive as a pastor at the age of 60 or 62 or 63, but a ministry where you uh, can be renewed throughout, not just surviving, which a lot of do, a lot of them do, but the kind of ministry that when you reach your 60s you say my body and my mind are still healthy. What's the next step for me in the ministry? Is it to continue as a pastor or to be um, some kind of aid to a new pastor? Anyway, these are the kinds of things that I contemplated uh, for about five years. Yeah.
0: And who are some, uh, we can both think of examples of people who did this perhaps poorly. Um, Who are some good historical examples of people
1: who did this well? There are historical examples of, of people who did it. Uh, several of them, obviously, have, have done it poorly, and they serve, as, as Paul says, they serve as examples for us to learn from. So you can learn even from those. In fact, many of the examples we learn from are from the, you know, the Via Negativa, and so. And I think that's a robust way of developing pastoral theology. But as I go back, I look at the life of Augustine, and the one thing that comes up in his uh, confessions for example when I read a lot of Augustine but one of the very noble aspects of the confessions is that Augustine sort of realizes that the life that he had even as a as a Christian as a convert to uh, to Christianity was a life that needed to be replenished by these three themes and so whether Augustine was in the company of pear thieves <laughs> You know, whether he was in the company of men who did not love truth, didn't pursue the good, or whether he was in the company of godly men who helped shape his understanding of life in the monastery, life in the parish. Um, There were friends everywhere, but the kinds of friends, obviously, that led him to a fruitful life in the kingdom were the kinds of people who urged him towards the good. And for Augustine, the definition of friendship for him was uh, agreement on things above, and so that there was uh, that the things that bound Augustine to his friends, whether in the early days of his, his Christian life or in the, his last days, Augustine was always surrounded by friends, but the friends that were able to shape his pastoral ministry were friends that were eager to serve the mission of God, and I love your interview with Christopher Wright recently on this, that were able to, that were eager to serve in the mission of God, and who shared a, 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 perhaps an identical definition of what that mission was. Hmm. So for Augustine, he was in many ways viewed as a very pugilistic sort of author. But but that's because he understood that understanding, uh, having a common view of the mission played a big role in how the kingdom moved forward. Uh, so that Pelagianism did not share that mission. And yeah. so for there was a, an agenda that came within the category of friendship so that not all friendships are created equal, not all companions are created equal, and Augustine put a high treasure on that. The other, the, the other characters removed centuries from that, and Nazi Germany was Dietrich Bonhoeffer that has become in some ways through you know people like Eric Metaxas sort of an evangelical superstar, but his life is very... Uh, mystical in the sense that he really imbibed uh, the best of Lutheran practices to the point where sometimes it could have been confused with uh, Catholic rituals. For him, there were a couple of things that bound friendship together, but they all fell under the category of service and mission, which is why if they're going to be uh, brought together under the category of mission, then they needed to confess their sins to one another, then they needed to partake of the Lord's table with one another, that they needed to pray, to sing, and to do life together. And so um, it's, it's very hard to build pastoral relationships if there isn't a common bond and uh, service and mission. And it doesn't mean identical theology, obviously, but it does mean identical purpose and intentionality in pursuing the kingdom.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, the the Augustan... Uh... Reference, Because, of course, Gustin is known as someone who writes the first sort of psychological autobiography. He's someone who has deep introspection, but also deep extrospection, and that he is a theologian. And it strikes me that today, a lot of the folks who are more heady theological really do avoid those soft skills of, as you're saying, leisure, friendship, things we typically associate with emotional intelligence. And then there are folks who focus on that so much that yeah they don't burn out but they also don't have a a lot of wood in the fire so they're not really burning with passion and zeal for the mission to begin with and that's something I've appreciated as you and I have corresponded while you've been doing this program is that mixture of sort of objective theological exploration and then the more subjective um, internal contemplation and as you say I mean Augustine is uh what well, we say jesus and paul obviously but uh, augustine is in the history of uh, the church uh, sort of the father of that so last question as you do yes. some uh, introspection here how have you uh, changed grown over the past uh, five years specifically in relation to uh, uh, finishing a doctorate
1: well it, it, it is it's a very um, you're going through it right now and uh, lord bless you in your endeavors um but it is a very, very transformative process because I don't know how you define a doctorate, but for me, um, it, it's sort of 90% perseverance and 10% talent. It's just the ability to focus on one subject for a very lengthy period of time. And to focus on pastoral theology, for me, it was very natural because I think it's what it's what I'm called to do, but it's what I love. I love people. But what it did, Dustin, for me, is it put unique uh, biblical categories in concrete terms, and so much of what I've done in my whole, all my pastoral ministry is sort of a happy reaction to my uh, my training under John Frame. The existential part of pastoral theology is something that's often overlooked, and so for me, as I went through uh, my my doctoral work, essentially is a response to my pastoral ministry. Uh-huh. Whereas in the past, I had generic ideas of how pastors function. And what principles are there to guide them? Now I think I have, at least from my perspective, a healthier understanding where I can put, here are the concrete principles that I think ought to guide my ministry the next 20, 30 years. And I have thought very deeply about them. So what it gives you is the ability to go in depth on issues that you thought were once generic, but now you realize how fundamental they are to the health of your pastoral life that these are not just little categories you pull to make a nice little argument, that these are, this is the blood of pastoral ministry. If we're not engaged in friendship as mine and yours, I, I very much treasure our relationship. If we're not engaged in a continual refreshing of our academic souls, intellectual souls, and if we're not engaged in that kind of contemplative life, the life of leisure, the life where we are, enjoying, doing life together. And all of that, of course, is encompassed in the life of the church. But if if these things are absent, there is going to be necessarily a lack, uh, a, a gap in our pastoral ministry that will show in a variety of ways. It will show in the frustration of the congregation, because when you come through a difficult pastoral situation, if you are not healthy, you will collapse in the process. And that's one of the lessons I learned very, um, very vividly is that pastoral health also aids in dealing with conflict. I've done is I've come to the acknowledgement that these are more than generic principles, but that this is the life and blood of pastoral ministry under categories of friendship, uh, learning, and leisure.
0: Yuri Brito is the pastor of Providence Church in Pensacola, Florida, and doctor of the Church Catholic. Yuri, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with this man.
1: Dustin, always my pleasure to spend time with you. Thanks for listening. Bye.